Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Director podcast. This is a series for the Institute of Directors. I'm Ellis Hall, I'm your host and I am a manager at Achilles. We work with large organisations to help them build sustainable supply chains. I'm also a sustainability ambassador for the Institute of Directors based out of the North Yorkshire branch. And in this series, I speak with business owners, CEOs, leaders within their industry to talk about ways that they're embedding sustainability in their business practices so that I can share with you tips, tools, templates, ways in which you can also implement sustainability practices into your organisation. Now in this episode, I am speaking with Donald Mavundesi. Donald is the chair for the new sustainability group that the Institute of Directors has launched. And in this episode, we actually reflect on COP in the first half. Now it's been a little while since COP, so it gives us some time to digest what actually happened as it is something that can be divisive. So we're gonna do that in the first part. And then in the second part, we are going to talk about this new initiative that the Institute of Directors has launched, one that Donald is at the head of. He is driving this change. And it is gonna be really practical for a lot of leaders and businesses that are thinking of ways and figuring out how to embed better practices into their organization. So without further ado, let's bring Donald into the conversation. Well, welcome, Donald. Thank you very much for joining this IOD podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Alice. Thank you for, for having me. It's an yeah. discussion we're going to have, I think. Very much so, very much so. And as the new chair for the sustainability group for the Institute of Directors, I know that you're very close to what the IOD is doing, and we're going to touch more on that later on in the podcast. But the first part of this podcast we are going to be reflecting on the recent COP28 that happened in Dubai. Now, I feel like COP28 sometimes divides people on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But I think today we just want to focus on some of the, the main things that came out. And, and to be honest, get your opinion on them. What what do you think about some of these, these outcomes? How does that sound? That sounds great. Uh, you know what, Ellis, I am sort of cautious cautiously optimistic Good. after COP28. Uh, one of the reasons is I think you need to be to have some optimism to move forward rather than uh, throwing the, uh, the towel. Um, my first ref reflection is it's a mixed bag. Um, so if we start uh, with the phase out uh, of um, yes, uh, it, that's been agreed. Um, I think we're facing the, in the right direction, uh, but the challenge uh, or the question will be, will the pledges result in actual practice? Mm. I think it's been a no-brainer in terms of phasing out fossil fuel. Yeah. And uh, many, some people will say it's come too, too late. Um, yeah. uh, what we knew already way back in 1995 from uh, previous um, uh, climate com uh, conferences. Um, but yes, if we just hover on uh, at that uh, agreement to move away from fossil uh, fuels, I think it provides a reference point uh, for different actors and different players who have been calling for a change uh, to, to do more, whether that is civil society and in our case, business leaders, 
uh, it provides, uh, I think, a framework of, of intent. Uh, of yeah. course, it is not legally binding. No. But, um, that is an issue itself. And we can talk later about some of the country plans and uh, where the gaps are in terms of uh, those plans to be in line with what has been agreed uh, uh, globally. Uh, yeah, but that, I think well, we're facing the right direction. Yeah, and I, and I think on that, I think you can be optimistic about something because it wasn't there previously. And throughout COP, there was worrying signs coming from, obviously, the president of COP with what he was stating that came in and used very quickly when, when COP started, mm. about that there's, there's no science for this. And the reality is that everyone disagrees and therefore to get to that end point when negotiations were going on so late on the last day to get to something it does give you a little bit of optimism but on the counter argument for that is that is it too weak you know it's not where we wanted to get to it's not the we must phase out fossil fuels it's we'll try and transition away we'll aim to transition away but it's not it doesn't feel strong enough to me looking from one side absolutely i i i i see where you're coming from and 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 i agree where my optis, optimism lies partly is that um there's a sense of the language with its gaps there's some more broader agreement um on that language but certainly uh, it would have been stronger uh, yeah. it feels like a there's there are loopholes it's, it's not very clear when you look at the paris um agreement for example there are certain sections that were far much stronger, far much, far much clearer, and yeah. uh, and and one would have hoped sort of the same or similar approach is taken to make things more concrete, because once you have ambiguity uh, in the in the language, it, it becomes uh, quite difficult to see how the plans and the action actually align to to delivering um, what needs to be to be done. I would say, you know, I would have been happier with a stronger language that mm -hmm. says by a certain date um, uh, we anticipate uh, uh, the uh, uh, moving away from fossil fuels to have been uh, completed and mm -hmm. secondly the other side uh, that the tripling of uh, the renewables are also time uh, specific and, and time defined yeah and, and i think just on that you the main thing is that fossil fuel organizations, although they did know, they publicly recognized that the fossil fuels are the ones that are driving, as we know, driving climate change due to the increase of greenhouse gases. And they've recognized that they're, they're the problem in this and they're aware and now they need to put everything in play to actually do the transition. And what you said at the start is, will this this words and these terminologies and these written documents turn into actual ad action will the pledges turn into the practice that, that we need to see and i think that you you mentioned something there on a slightly different angle we have seen positive with the tripling of, of renewable technology so that is something surely good to take my my con my question to you about this is we're looking at tripling renewable energy to meet our consumption are we looking at maybe the wrong thing should we be looking at addressing our consumption first rather than just throwing renewable energy at the problem yes you know i'd say ellis there is no one way to address this big complicated systemic problem uh, so absolutely i mean we cannot just rely on a just technology that's out there in terms of yeah. carbon sequestration yeah uh, 
it's also about behaviors. Uh, it's about uh, so consumption. It's about you know how we produce food, how what the types of food that we eat. Uh, what does um, a sustainable economy look like? Uh, you know, when you look at the measures for an economy, for example, uh, GDP, which measures how busy a, an economy is, I don't think that is enough. Uh, the question has to be, is the economy busy on the right things when you think about sustainability? So, so absolutely uh, correct. I would also say that in some ways, the climate conference is just one part or deals with one part of the broader planetary uh, uh, boundaries and limitations. We have biodiversity loss. You know, we have, you know, some studies show we have more plastic than fish now in our oceans. Mm. And, and there's also the social side, which is important. Uh, issues around employee well-being, uh, issues you know around fairness, um, mm. uh, uh, where you have communities right now in the global south who contribute the least to to, to the climate, but affected the most. Uh, so mm. it's a whole host of um, of of measures that need to be taken uh, comprehensively. Certainly, moving away um, or the intention to move away from from fossil fuel is an, is an important part. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so what you're saying uh, in, in terms of, you know, our consumption is, is, is a key part. And, and that is why, you know, I always feel this is a global um, problem that requires a global effort. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on some really interesting points. One about GDP. GDP doesn't measure our well-being really doesn't measure the value of well-being and, and welfare and, and there's really some new interesting i say new there's some interesting economic models or economic um scenarios that could be better to help us measure well-being over gdp because gdp only looks at one thing really and um you also touched on other things that we often focus on obviously fossil fuels they're the biggest concern right now with with greenhouse gas emissions but all of the other elements like biodiversity like that's being destroyed particularly mm. from from plastics and, and that doesn't really kind of take into consideration oh it's not taken into consideration when we look at greenhouse gases solely so it's like you say it's understanding what does that that broader picture look like um, and making the best decisions from there. But you you also mentioned on one thing that I wanted to pick up on because it leads to another outcome from COP28. But you mentioned there that the global south is impacted the most and we know that. Yes. So they're the countries that need the most help. Now, there is the loss and damage fund that was agreed at COP27 and in the early stages, I think there was nearly £250 million pledged. Now, that has been bolstered with another $400 million. So I think we're at about $700 million, but it might appear like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not. So although people were really positive because it kicked off the COP28 with some good news, it's believed that we need about $400 billion to help these countries, not $400 million. So we're at 0.1% of, of yes. where we need to be. So you know, what's, what's your thought on that? Are you positively or cautiously optimistic about that as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm far less cautiously optimistic um, yeah, because from previous practice, the pledges currently that have been put on the table and, and previously a, were not enough to begin with, and B, were never fully fulfilled. 
Mm. Uh, so, so, so that's the challenge. And and uh, my experience with COP is it's more sometimes even more important to uh, monitor what happens between the COP than on the COPs themselves, because that yes. is where you can really see you know, are these pledges really translating into actual practice. And and it, it feels grossly unfair that. Um, you know, communities uh, uh, who are at the sharp end of of this have 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 less support. Uh, there has been, you know, uh, conversation, for example, on insurance. Uh, we have a situation where businesses that are contributing the most to uh, uh, to the climate crisis find it easier to find business insurance. Uh, and then you have communities, smallholder farmers in the global south, who find it difficult to be protected, including through insurance, from the effects of climate change. So there's an unfairness there. And, and I would say, I think it leaves a number of um, countries in the global south having to a, think about what they can do with their own resources to try and you know fill 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 the gap and 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 being creative, I think also the gap could be filled by you know in continuing to engage uh, the business um, community. What I found positive from from the COP is the announcement from the business communities um, was quite progressive. I felt, uh, but yes, it, we we were starting from. Um, uh, a low base in terms of the resources needed as far as loss and damage is, is concerned. Yeah, and I think that these the amount of money that will, will be needed for, for certain islands in the Pacific Ocean. In the Pacific Ocean, those islands are gonna are not going to be there anymore. They're gonna have to over the next 10, 15 years build new islands that they can yeah. relocate to. And you know, we know how much it is to build anything a building is millions of pounds yeah. never mind a whole island so mm -hmm. it, it does feel like it was tr used as a to me it feels like a bit of a token gesture in reality that we don't care about the global south when i think that that is like you say grossly unfair so although it does show that there is a fund there and hopefully that mechanism will be built out for how those funds are yeah distributed i think that's probably what needs to work on obviously it's going to work on between now and uh, and the yeah. next cop how do we actually distribute those funds to the right places yeah. hopefully when that structure is in place then more money more money will start to flow from from other countries um, yes. and that's that's the optimism that i have in that that there's something there is a structure and then the processes will be inbuilt more money will be able to start to flow so so i am hopeful but at the moment it does feel does feel a little bit um a little bit weaker should we say so we will have to see on that one in particular okay yes absolutely and then i guess the next thing that we want to look at is strengthening the national climate commitments so the ndcs which are climate commitments that come from countries to ensure that we maintain or try to stay below the 1.5 degree warming we know that countries need to bolster one their commitments and their ambitions but also what they're presenting have you got any thoughts on what needs to happen there yes i mean i think it's again disappointing because uh we had feedback that only 35 countries have updated their plans uh, to meet uh, the globally agreed direction of, of, of travel. 
that is really inadequate. Uh, and uh, so again, uh, that is what saps, uh, if you may, uh, my optimism, uh, because uh, if, if, if what has been agreed in Dubai is not translated into country plans and action, um, it's, it, it becomes more, more, more difficult to see you know, how we can have what I would call a global tipping point of action to reverse the worst possible outcomes um, that, we, that we face globally. Um, and uh, I think that this space for civil society, this space for, you know, the Institute of Director is the voice of, of business. And, and what we want to do, we'll talk later about the sustainability group, is yeah. how we can magnify the voices of business to not just change policy, but also change practice um, yeah. uh, in, different, in different countries. And one of the things we want to do is actually connect the dots of all the IOD offices in the world if we can to try and make you know our own mark and, and make a difference yeah and, and before we before we just come on to that i want to talk about one of the most what i believe is one of the most important things so just quickly touching back on the ndcs there's a lot of work to do and those plans need to be bolstered significantly we can't be going back on what our commitments were we know that the uk has had particular challenges or has gone back on some of its original commitments of what it was trying to do to set itself apart as being a climate leader and this you can argue that we're, we're not at present so there is a bit of work to do there doesn't mean that we we won't be but i i definitely think that there's the uk's got a, a long way to go but i think one of the most important things that often gets overlooked is our food systems we need three things in life and it's oxygen mm. food and water to mm. survive mm. Um, and in reality food is often overlooked because of our food practices and processes and the fact that we turn our soil so often that we are destroying topsoil soil is one of the most important um, parts of our ecosystems and therefore we need to understand how we are going to build resilient food systems so i think it's it's really important and it's good that this has been brought to the table now have you got any thoughts on on what countries should be looking at or, or what they need to do from a food perspective i mean we clearly need to move towards an organic um way of farming uh, i know there's some great campaigns you know soil not oil uh, which you know tries to to make sure that that is the direction of travel and i think uh, there's space to provide incentives of, of, of such practices i've worked with um you know uh, businesses in the food sector who who have gone clearly organic uh, that is good for the soil uh, good for for the planet and, and good for for our health and one of the things that's happening globally is uh, what is called the one health campaign uh, uh, that recognizes the the importance of uh, of soil the, the importance of regenerative agriculture uh, and 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 an agricultural system that reflects the biodiversity. Uh, you know, I've worked uh, not just in the UK, in overseas, um, you know, farmers who for many decades have been pushed towards monocropping. That's, yeah. that's not uh, good for, for the soil and, and for the environment. You know, artificial fertilizer, for example, yeah. uh, that, you know, drains uh, the quality of the, of the soil. Uh, so uh, again, you know, 
I would say you know, the question is where are the leverage points? And I think the leverage point is A, consumers demanding more you know, organic food, um, B, uh, you know, government stepping into providing the, the incentives uh, to make that transition towards organic um, production uh, more, more feasible. I'll say when you look at global trade, um, local producers saving their local markets. Uh, mm -hmm. Is an area that um, I think would 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 make a difference, um, but again, the question is how do you address the the big players out there mm. uh, whose farming is not as sustainable as it should be, but they are backed by a lot of finances uh, behind. That is that is that is the uphill uh, struggle. And I think there's a balance with that as well with consumers. Again, what consumers want, we want foods that are not in season all year round you know yeah. we have to start thinking about how we're eating when we're eating certain foods and where we're eating certain foods from mm -hmm. so i think that is also something to consider which i think again it comes back to education do we actually understand what foods are in season and what foods aren't in season so i think there's a lot of work across the across the board but you know soil health is one of the most important things and, and i follow someone really interesting on instagram or follower a movement should we say called conscious planet by a gentleman called sad guru who has been looking at protecting soil for for decades and he runs a foundation called isha foundation and if you want to learn more about it or anyone listening to this that wants to learn more about it then i'd recommend following conscious planet on instagram or social media or just looking up what they're doing because the more we damage our soil the more of an impact it has on climate because we know that soil is one of the largest carbon sinks or greenhouse gas sinks in terms of what it actually absorbs the more damage that we do to the soil the less that the less carbon dioxide that can be absorbed by it so it's not just about the food side of things it's what are we what are we doing to it in in the long run so you know we're also increasing carbon from damaging the soil but we're also not going to have the ability to grow the yeah. necessary food that we need to meet the the growing population so yeah there's plenty of plenty of challenges but if that's one thing to do then follow conscious planet yes yes, yes. and also i mean we have uh, uh, sort of fishing industry as well and the oh yeah we won't have time to uh, uh deep dive into into what what's happening in the ocean in this conversation but uh, that's another sort of area that you know amazing there's, there's a gentleman there's another gentleman that does this investigative journalism the outlaw ocean project ian abina who is fascinating and that really gets into the social side of sustainability and what actually goes on at the high seas and he did a really interesting investigation into the one of the largest fishing fleets and what goes on at sea and anyone that is listening again i'd recommend going to read that what that actually um does because yeah it's very eye-opening and he's got a dispatch series as well it's uh yeah you can learn a lot and we could have another podcast to talk about what goes on That's at the high seas yeah. for sure so let's let's get that arranged but in um i'm conscious of conscious of time and i did want to talk about did want to talk about what the institute of directors is actually doing i'm not going to talk about it although i know about it you're here as the new chair of this sustainability group so donald if you could explain how the iod is going to take what we've seen from carp understands what it needs to do from a business mm. uh, perspective and yeah tell the listeners what what the plan is 
Yes, certainly. So the sustainability group is sort of a newly minted group. It emerges from a previous setup, which was the uh, sustainability task force. And the sustainability group has a new mandate to serve and support its members. Whereas this task force was in part mainly focusing on supporting Institute of Directors management on sustainability. And uh, the purpose of the, of the group is to create a platform uh, for uh, business leaders, uh, for-profit, non-profit, to engage, to share best practice, to learn about sustain sustainability. And we want to do that by four main areas. One is to excite uh, members around sustainability by, for example, you know, showcasing best practices. You know, one of your earlier uh, podcasts, you had Richard Hagen. Uh, just yeah fantastic um, example of uh, you know business leader you know walking the talk and, mm -hmm. and what I like about Richard is not only what he's achieved and, and some of the awards and what he's doing transforming um, uh, crystal uh, doors but who he is fundamentally uh, you know he exemplifies for me the kind of business leader uh, who others would be inspired by so the first thing is excitement and creating that awareness secondly is educating so getting um, you know there was a study out there with the Institute of Directors that on one hand, 60% of business leaders um, feel that sustainability is good for business. Mm. Uh, yet around maybe 22% have, especially of medium-sized businesses, have actually been able or feel confident to make the transition. So, so educating um, and, and them around sustainability is one of the things that uh, we'll be doing. We currently have a sustainability hub with some um, you know, training materials, and uh, we have some a leadership program targeting uh, directors uh, to help them understand their own oversight on, on sustainability. The third part is equipping. You know, how do you move people from educating and equipping? And one of the things we'll be looking at is to provide tools and frameworks, you know, practical ways in which businesses can, can transition. And there are a number of examples I've been excited actually about a number of initiatives who either are trying to provide what what I may call sort of a self-help framework and processes to for businesses to measure the carbon and 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 be able to track the progress, and then engaging. Uh, we want to uh, then engage business leaders by a being the voice of business leaders, uh, in influencing policy and practice in in the UK on some of the things that we have discussed earlier and some of the gaps that we see, and because you know businesses. No need uh, certainty. I think a lot of business leaders know that um, there is an uncertain environment in, that comes from um, rising temperatures. But what they're looking for is certainty of the policies that are put forward. And so if there is ambiguity, it becomes difficult uh, for business leaders. And uh, so certainly getting their voices magnified is one of the things we will do. Uh, we recognize, as I said before, that, you know, we share the same plan, uh, atmosphere. Uh, so uh, looking at it from a global scale is, is also important and being able to engage with other IED offices uh, is, is, is critical. And uh, the sustainability group is one of the special interest group that Institute of Directors has. Yeah. There are groups that we will be engaging with, uh, dealing with uh, the built environment, dealing with, uh, there's an Africa group, there's an Asia group, um, there's one for marketing and, and communications. And all those, I've spoken to some of the chairs, feel that sustainability is an area where we can have some 
joint action. So in a nutshell, the group exists to connect the dots of support and make it easier for business leaders to, to get support. Uh, you know, I'm a founder uh, also of an online platform on sustainability. It is hard um, to start, run, grow a business in the current environment. What we don't want is to make it harder at the same time mm. for business leaders to get support. Uh, so we will be uh, we're improving our, our online platforms and our online uh, presence uh, to make it easier for uh, business leaders to get um, connected. One of the things that we are actively uh, promoting uh, is uh, to uh, really ensure that there's an understanding of sustainability in these three dimensions of in, you know, environment, social and governance. I would add another E there, which is economic well-being. Uh, and, and that they are seen as integrated and, re and, and mutually reinforcing. So for a, for a business, uh, it means there is interest to see how uh, not only the impacts on the environment uh, are looked at, but also the well-being of employees mm. uh, and how customers are treated. And, and, and that's what you, for example, don't hear uh, very much on the climate conference, which is a climate conference. Uh, but uh, coming out of the climate conference, we want to promote that integrated approach of of ESEG, I would say, uh, including the economic side uh, as well. And and uh, the the way we're structured is uh, so Richard, uh, whom you spoke to before, is part of the leadership team. Yeah. And um, we also have um, uh, Adrian Price, who is with the Northampton University and uh, yeah. with the with the education side, and we. Our posture is very much to listen to our business leaders, and we will do that through uh, these sustainability ambassadors. And I know you, that is your role as well, because, and we have uh, the current chair of Sussex who uh, helps us or will help us in reaching out to, to ambassadors and reaching out to the different regions so that we are really actively listening and being able to support and, and represent the voices of, 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 of business. Yeah, and I think that's, it's really great to hear that this is happening now and the transition from the task force to the sustainability group to help drive value for businesses. And I think that we often forget SMEs. And we do talk about this a lot. We talk about the fact that SMEs get left behind mm -hmm. because large organizations, that where policy is focused. Policy is focused at big companies because then it does flush through, especially when supply chains are so integrated and complex these days you know that if it starts at the top it will impact the lower organizations within the supply chain indirectly but they will have to be involved but i think the biggest challenge that SMEs have got is resource it's always resource it's yeah. the time it's the actual human capital that they've got and mm -hmm. it's the financial resource that they have access to to be able to implement this they don't have the ability to hire people just to do yeah. this in SMEs, they have to roll up the sleeves and everyone has to get stuck in and i think that creating tools and ways in which small and medium-sized organizations can access tools and frameworks will be very very helpful there's a lot out there already and it's about mm -hmm. how we repurpose some of those tools out there we don't have to reinvent the wheel we just have to find the best things and bring it into one central location so that the members can feel like they're gaining value in this because it's so important it's so critical there's a lot of pressure on them they're asked all the time by stakeholders whether that's customers or mm -hmm. shareholders or 
um, to the general public to provide information on what they're doing. And the easier we can make it for them, the better of a job the IOD will be doing. So I'm, I'm honestly really looking forward to, to hearing it and to seeing how it develops over 2024. I'm sure you've got lots of plans in play and you're, you're building out the necessary things. Yes, we will be. No, we will be. Um, the, the, the group was set up uh, sort of a few days before COP28. So it's yeah. sort of new. And what we've been doing on this side of, of Christmas is uh, to just set ourselves up so that, uh, so following year, what we will be doing is to send out, you know, the plans, the kind of events and how we want to to, to engage. I and mean, one of the things I, I would say, uh, which will excite me is that we haven't spoken about and I'd love maybe another question to talk about, that's the technology side. So at AI and sustainability. So we're talking to different um, organizations to create, um, you know, multi-year event uh, to discuss how AI can be a force for good. Because personally, with the potential for AI, it would be a missed opportunity if it doesn't address all the uh, or help to address some of the issues. Having said that, there's of course a, a caveat. Um, we're very clear: technology is not going to solve everything. It, you know, we are in this um situation um with the climate crisis because of the behaviors uh, and that uh that underpin that and it is going to be a different set of behaviors how we consume how we live how we how we travel um that will uh, result in a change and technology will in my view hopefully make that more easy uh, yeah. uh, but it is not the silver bullet itself but that's one of the things that we would like to to press on yeah, and look, I'm excited by that because I do think that technology supports you, it enhances what you do, it makes things more efficient. And I think that if you're not using artificial intelligence for something today, then you're going to be missing out because I mentioned resources are a challenge and it's an extra resource that can be used. So why would you not use it? It's just understanding it of how you best use it. But like you said, it's not just a technology problem. This is a behavioural problem and behaviour comes from education. So education, again, is the most important things. And we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk about this. But talking about it is what gets people to understand it and learn about it. They can then reflect on it on their own time and then they can make a decision to change. You can't force someone to change as an individual unless it's law or uh, unless it's a policy that's driving a business. But but in reality, I think that education is a, is a huge part. So I'm hopeful that uh, the new sustainability group will will do something within the education space as, as you are doing, as it's one of your pillars. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, absolutely. And I'd probably end with, with saying the, the catchword for me in supporting business leaders is, again, how, how do we just make it easier for for them as you said you know they're they're they're, they're they have a lot on their, on their plate already and, and and part of it will be at the education piece is to demystify some of the language and, and make it more palatable and you know uh, the sustainability discussion is a lot of acronyms and i've spoken to some business leaders they can't just get their head around um, uh, some of the language and, and the way it is um shared so one of the things we want to do is you know have more you know, easily you know palatable language that does not dumb down the the, the complexity of it but yeah that just communicates easily so that it can engage action uh, more readily 
yeah and i think communication is a is a great point to end on it's it's critical for for everything that we do is is how we communicate between ourselves and businesses up and down supply chains between industries and governments so yeah let's let's leave it there let's leave it on that point but i want to just say thank you very much for sharing your thoughts today it was great having you on and talking about COP, but also talking about the sustainability group with you at the helm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of changes in 2024. And I, as a sustainability ambassador for the North Yorkshire region, is certainly looking forward to to seeing some of those changes and hopefully being involved. So, Donald, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. And I would say, I should have said in the beginning, you know, thank you for setting up this podcast because, you know, it is a helpful vehicle to, again, excite, educate, um, equip and engage uh, the business community. So, So thank you. And thank you for the time. No, that's what we're there to do. But thank you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can speak again. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Donald share his thoughts on COP and also to hear about the new initiative from the Institute of Directors. The previous National Task Force, which Donald mentioned, was about helping the IOD as an organisation and share best practice. And This new group is going to take practical steps to help businesses because that's one of the biggest challenges. I know from research that I've done with SMEs in particular that the biggest challenge is always going to be resource. Resource in terms of people, so physical resource, but also financial resource and also time. So it's really tough for businesses to be able to learn about this and then implement the changes. So if they've got access to a repository or a suite of tools and resources that they can use it should save them a lot of time and people and hopefully cost as well but won't hinder them when they actually want to embed sustainability practices into the organization so hearing about this new group is one that i'm really positive about i think it'll be really helpful and i think that the members can really benefit This is obviously going to be a development throughout 2024. And if you have any feedback for Donald or thoughts about this new group or want to play a part in it, then have no doubt that you could get in touch with Donald and ask the question. You can find him on LinkedIn or you can drop me a line and I will get his contact details for you. But I'm going to leave this one there. If you've got any thoughts or reflections on COP, then I'd really be open to hear them. I know it can be really divisive, but... But I do think using Donald's term of cautiously optimistic is one that we have to do. At the end of the day, we can achieve anything. I know that when humans put their mind to it, we can absolutely achieve what we want. So I am going to take the cautiously optimistic phrase in my stride and use it accordingly. I'll leave that with you. If you've got any thoughts, please feel free to get in touch. And I look forward to hearing from you. But if I don't, I hope you're listening next time. Take care.